0: So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com, we've done your homework.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. I drive,
2: center field, hit the wall!
1: Congrats. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality now here's frank scott chris and adam
0: perhaps the biggest question in fantasy baseball this season is how are you handling starting pitchers welcome to fantasy baseball today and welcome to our starting pitcher preview part one for the 2021 season frank Stanfield joined as always by scott you could never have enough pitching white and chris i'm not sure how he feels about pitching any more towers Thanks as always to everybody listening and those currently watching on YouTube and Twitch. We appreciate you as always today on the show. Uh, We're going to hit a lot of strategy here at the top regarding starting pitchers. We'll focus on the top 15 to 20 in ADP, uh, then hit sleepers, breakouts, and busts towards
2: the end of the show. But let's start with your overarching... Frank. Yeah, what's up, Chris? Tell them about FFT and 5 before we get going. Or FBT and (laughs) 5, Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, Come that, on. that probably makes a, a lot of sense to do so. So, you might have seen some promotional tweets earlier today. Um, or on our Facebook group page. But starting Monday, March 1st, this upcoming Monday, we will have a new feed. This isn't going anywhere. We're still going to do the full-length podcast uh, six times a week throughout March. It's going to be absolutely crazy. But um, we're going to have Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, which if you listen to Fantasy Football Today in 5 throughout the football season, it's going to be a lot of the same things. We're going to... You know, hit on um, sleepers, breakouts, bust throughout draft season, any of the latest news, spring training, things that you need to know. In season, we'll talk a lot about the waiver wire, the news from the night, uh, pictures that you might want to pick up and stream for the next day. So it's going to be a five-minute podcast where you get all your fantasy baseball information, uh, and it'll be the first thing you hear every morning along with this podcast. So this isn't going anywhere, but shout out to you, Chris, because... That's why you're a better host than me. Do you want to just take over and just like host
2: the rest of this one? Because I don't no, know. No, not at all.
0: <laughs> uh, no. All right. So
2: there you go. Fancy. I get out of breath when I host, frankly. I just, it's too much talking. <laughs> I don't, I don't control my breathing well enough. I need to work from the diaphragm, you know? You know, true story. There are a
0: lot of times where I feel like I'm talking too much and then I'll just rush through my thoughts because I'm like, people probably want to hear what Scott and Chris have to say more than I do. So then I just well, rush off. <laughs> I mean, uh, okay, Frank,
3: Frank's a good analyst. Frankie <sighs> needs to interject at times. It's not like when another certain someone hosted this show.
2: Oh, heyo! Shots I'm fired. Just kidding, Adam Azer. <laughs> I'm just
3: kidding, Adamazer. I'm just kidding.
2: Right. Um, starting he he pitchers. probably doesn't listen anyway.
3: No, he, he, doesn't. He, he doesn't. Although, I think I talked him into coming on an episode here pretty Ooh. soon. Not to, uh, this is a pretty far out tease and maybe he'll disappoint me and not show up. But he might be on within the next couple weeks. Since we've already gone, gone
0: this far into the podcast without actually talking about starting pitchers, yes. <laughs> Adam Azer is alive. Some people have been emailing and asking on our Facebook group page, where is Adam Azer? He's fine. He's somewhere on the outskirts of New York. Uh, I answered this question In my Q&A last night, uh, he's probably eating raisins somewhere. He's fine. He's good. He's hosting the football podcast. There's a lot of off-season football content. He will be joining us for a podcast in March. I can guarantee that. More than one? That I don't know. Uh, But let's jump into starting pitchers. Our, Our strategy, our overarching theme for the 2021 season. Last year, Scott, you won many leagues, but among them was Tout Wars, a 15-team, mm-hmm. 5x5 Roto League with some of the best fantasy analysts in the world. I'm not just making that up. I mean, there's a lot of really smart people in that league, and you won it. You did so by drafting Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber in the first two rounds, and I know recently you wrote an article on CBSSports.com explaining why people need to invest more in starting pitching this season. So explain why and give us your overarching strategy uh, and any rules that you might be following when drafting pitching this season.
3: Oh, I have so much I could say on this (laughs) subject and to try and distill it down to two minutes. Um, All right. So addressing what you said at the top where, um, you know, it it seems like uh, the, the, the most important conversation about fantasy baseball this year is how you're approaching starting pitching. I feel like that's been the most important conversation for the past five years or so. And uh, it's kind of been refreshing to see so many uh, fantasy baseball analysts kind of climbing aboard that this year. I thought Chris Towers, I thought I was starting to win him over too, but it seems hey, like a little bit. It seems like maybe he's going a little back toward the dark side, but we'll, I'll let him speak for himself. Okay, so starting pitchers. Uh, basically, what's happened at that position in recent history is there has been an increase in talent but there's also been an increase in specialization to get the most out of talent. So it's rare to find the sort of pitcher that contributes both the volume to be an impact pitcher and also and also the skills, and also the skills. The ones who do are so skilled. They're like historically skilled, and they can strike out everybody. And if they're given that volume too, they are these amazing super aces, the likes of which the game has rarely seen. But of course, that's a very select group of pitchers, and then what's happened to the majority of the pitching crop is not only are they not that skilled, not only are they not often pitching that deep into games, but they're also getting pummeled by home runs because there are way too many of those being hit. And it's 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 kind of mass it, it's kind of eliminated the middle class at the position and created this uh, it made it a position of extremes, of haves and have nots, and this giant gap where Basically, there are a few dozen pitchers who matter, and then the rest basically don't. They basically don't. So you have to pay for the ones that matter, Um, and you have to kind of guess to a degree which ones matter because it's still a position with a high failure rate, but that's, that's kind of beside the point because you only have so many chances to get an actual impact player at that position. And the ones who end up with them are probably going to do well. The ones who don't, I think, have very little chance of competing, especially since, you know, because of that influx in home runs, it's become very hard to differentiate yourself at the hitter spots while it's become very easy to do so at the pitcher spots. So hopefully I didn't ramble too long. Hopefully that made sense. That's, That's where things stand with pitcher right now. Oh, I didn't even get to the part about why it's, why it's even worse this year, why I think it's going to be even worse. But I'll let Chris talk and then we can get into that. All
0: right. So Chris also wrote a great article and I feel like you guys were just kind of like butting heads with, with these articles that you put out within a couple of days of each other. Uh, but the article was titled We are worse than ever at drafting starting pitchers. So why do they cost so much more? Uh, so Chris, I'll give you the opportunity to explain what you mean, some of the data that you found when it comes to starting pitching and how you're using it to shape your starting pitcher strategy for this season.
2: Yeah, there is. I fully agree with Scott that you need multiple very good starting pitchers to be able to compete in your fantasy league. And if you don't have them, you're you're not going to be able to. Where we disagree is not that you need those guys. It's what uh, the optimum investment is. And what I mean when I say that we're worse than ever at drafting starting pitchers is simply that. The last uh, I I looked at the last five years of ADP data, and we are—I believe it was every year there might have been one, but the hit rate on pitchers drafted inside of the top 100 and overall ADP, and did we? I I phrased framed a hit as finishing in the top 50 overall and the top 100, basically. So there were two different versions of it. Um, the hit rate has gone down as more pitchers have gotten pushed up the draft board. And what we're seeing so far in 2021 drafts is 32 starting pitchers are being drafted in the top 100. The previous high in the last five years was 26. That was back in 2019. And as recently as 2017, there were 21 starting pitchers drafted in the top 100 overall. This is all from uh, NFC historical data. So we're pushing... You know, not just the elite class of starting pitcher up draft boards, but, you know, well into, I think, the middle class of starting pitchers. And what you see in the data is that the hit rate for starting pitchers drafted in the first round is about 75%. You know, we're dealing with relatively small samples, but uh, 75% of those drafted in the first round over the last five seasons have finished as top 100 overall players, and 70% have finished as top 50 overall players. So, drafting a first round pitcher is almost always a good idea. The hit rate from the second round to the third round drops to about 50%. And this is where it becomes kind of all or nothing. There were zero pitchers who finished between 50 and 100 overall who were drafted in the second round or third round over the last five seasons. Uh, So you either got a very good pitcher or you got someone who frankly wasn't particularly good. After the third round over the last five seasons, the hit rate basically drops to between 25 and 30%. That's really bad. And that's talking about one top 100 overall finish in Roto scoring. Yeah. Now, obviously sometimes you have like Zach Wheeler last season was the hundred and first overall player. Exactly. By that criteria, he technically wouldn't qualify, but there were a lot of 300 and over finishes and, and, Yeah, The thing that really stood out to me was over the last two seasons in particular, the hit rate has been much lower, uh, both early in drafts and throughout the top 100. And so that's where I come to the conclusion. We're getting worse at drafting starting pitcher. And really, I don't even know if it's worse. We just I don't like I don't think there's a, a big enough sample size to say definitively we're getting worse. But Mm -hmm. I will say definitively there is no evidence we are better at identifying who the best starting pitcher will be, Mm -hmm. but we're paying more for them. Yeah, well, there's more that's where I run into the the issue is that it'd be one thing if we were and the hit rate, just to add some more context, the hit rate for pitcher hitters is higher at every round, every round range. Hitters have a higher hit rate. Uh, hit rate than pitchers. There's one exception with the fifth to sixth round, which has actually been like a weirdly decent place to draft pitchers over the last five seasons. But Mm -hmm. I don't know how statistically significant that is, but either way, it's basically a push in the fifth and sixth round and hitters are much more likely to hit uh, than pitchers. And so you add it all up and yes, you need those elite starting pitchers. And I think you should try to get those elite starting pitchers. I just don't think it's kind of like in, in football, we've talked a lot on FFT over the last couple of years about this idea of the running back dead zone, which is basically historically it's like round three to round eight is where running backs go to die. Cause that's where you get the unproven guys who were projecting more than they've ever shown, or the older guys who were just like, well, He's going to get 250 carries and he'll probably finish as a top 15 running back, but we don't actually think he's good. I think you see something similar at starting pitcher.
3: Um, okay. So go ahead. Scott. I, I, I want to address the, okay. So I hear a lot of what you're saying, but I do think specifically for that pit, that position and the way the Roto formula interprets production from that position, starting pitcher, I do think top 100 overall finish is a, is a very high bar. Luis Castillo was outside the top 100 last year. Carlos Carrasco, Sonny Gray, you mentioned Zach Wheeler. Uh, Max Scherzer had a down year, but I don't think anybody would say him or any of those other pitchers was not among the pitchers who genuinely made a difference last year just because they happened to finish outside the top 100. There were only 20 total starting pitchers that finished between 100 and 200 in the Roto-Rent. 20 total. So, like... I, I think the threshold should probably be lower, maybe outside the top two hundred. I I don't know what it, I, to 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 really yeah, call it I a just, like,
2: if you draft a guy in the third round and he finishes as the hundred and eightieth overall player, even if you, you started start, him the whole it's season, not
3: fair when there's only so many players who can contribute to those four categories. Like it's it's I, I think it would work better assessing the position against itself than against All the hitters who can't even contribute to those
2: pitching categories. But you're not just choosing from pitchers in that draft range. You're choosing from hitters who can contribute more to your ability to win games.
3: But there is still another half of the Roto game that only these players can contribute to.
2: The way that formula is based is how many standing points on average a player's stats added to to a team's total. And so you still have... I'm not... Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't draft starting pitchers. I'm just saying that the ideal should be at least one, and I think maybe pocket aces. I think the ideal is at least one starting pitcher in the first two rounds, maybe pocket aces. After that, I just... And really, even if you look past the ADP, if you look Mm -hmm. past like not just first round, it's basically the top 10 starting pitchers hit pretty uniformly, and then after that is where it's just, there's basically no... And, and I get your point, but what I would also add is it's not just that those guys don't finish inside the top 100. It's that there's no real discernible difference between the hit rate for guys in the third and
3: fourth round and the guys in the seventh round. I would also add that to combat the failure rate, like i i am not at all on board with the pocket aces theory a lot of people were pitching this last year and i know for a fact that would have killed me it killed everybody who drafted justin verlander right i mean um it's 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 um it's depending too much on luck basically and because there is so much depth at every position across the hitter pool there's no reason to do it i am more about drafting four or five of the top 35, which was also the approach I took last year. And I know it saved my butt in a couple leagues where, you know, two of those five didn't work out. And yet I still had a really good pitching staff. So uh, I'm more about leaning into that failure rate, expecting some of them to bust, and just getting more of them because of it. And, um, you know, it'd be great if if they're as high-end as like Shane Bieber or Garrett Cole. But if my number one is Lucas Giolito... Uh, that's fine too, as long as my five is somebody like Dylan Bundy or Framber Valdez, who has uh, the upside to be to be one of those pitchers who actually does make a difference.
0: All right, we have to get to ADP at some point, but uh, I actually just wanted to add that I actually think this is the the year to do pocket aces more than ever before, Scott, and, and it's. It's a combination of what <clears throat> excuse me what Chris said regarding uh, the hit rate for these starting pitchers being better in the first two rounds we know that you're, it's more likely for a hitter to to um, succeed and return the value that you need in the first two rounds but uh, as we go further into the draft that that success rate, Uh, goes significantly down for starting pitchers. So I think you couple that with the fact that I think there's more hitter value in the middle rounds than ever before, right? And we talked a lot about these guys. Rounds three and four, hitters that we've seen return first-round value in the past. And it goes beyond that. I mean, there's a lot of recency bias based on a shortened season from last year where you're getting hitters, I mean, rounds five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten that have also shown that type of upside in the past. So I think you couple those things together and I'm more likely to take two starting pitchers in the first two rounds than ever before. Um, But that's kind of just like where I I land on it.
3: That's fine. I, I probably am too. I think that Tout Wars draft last year was the only time in my entire drafting history, at least leagues that I played out, where I took a pitcher in the first two rounds. Obviously, it worked out well. I got Shane Bieber instead of Justin Verlander. I'm just saying, if you do that, you can't go thinking my work at starting pitcher is done until round 10 or whatever. Because oh, it's, your it's work not. is. Well, I, I think the, the key thing is your work is never done. No, and, it's not. I, I think I think, five of, of, I think roughly five of your first 10 picks this year should be starting pitcher. That's where I'm at with it.
0: I agree. You do need pitchings one way or another, whether you pay up for it uh, early in your drafts or you get lucky later on in your drafts. But I think that's where the analysis comes in, right? So you bring up a good point, uh, Chris, where... Just because you take pitching early doesn't mean that, that 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 pitching is going to hit someone like Trevor Bauer. So that's what we'll get into for the rest of this podcast. We'll talk about some of those early round pitchers uh, who we're targeting most and who we're avoiding. But before we get to ADP, just want to quickly tell you about Paramount Plus. You've probably seen the journey to Mount Paramount spots featuring Bill Cowher, James Corden, Patrick Stewart, and Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, it's quite the squad. But Paramount Plus is live sports, breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment. You can go straight from game day to movie night with Paramount+. Plus, Stream iconic movies like The Godfather, Indiana Jones, and Mission Impossible, and new episodes of critically acclaimed original series like Star Trek Picard, The Good Fight, and The Stand. And get this, it's where you can dive into live sports from us, CBS Sports, including the NFL, March Madness, the Masters, and Champions League Soccer. Plus stream hit shows from CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, and the Smithsonian channel and comedy central live sports breaking news and a mountain of entertainment paramount plus streaming march 4th and just a heads up that we do have an extra mailbag podcast that we'll do later this week it'll pop up in your feed saturday morning so if you have a fantasy baseball question and you enjoy the podcast please drop a five-star apple podcast rating and leave your question in the review. We'll also grab a few emails as well. Put mailbag in the subject line and email that to at com. ADP analysis, let's start at the top with the big three, Garrett Cole at ADP 6.6, Jacob deGrom at 6.8, and Shane Bieber at 8.4. So Scott, we will start with you. How do you rank the three, and what is the earliest you'd be
3: willing to take one of these pitchers? So I rake them backwards from ADP. It doesn't make a huge difference to me, but I, I was the high guy on Shane Bieber last year, and the reason I was the high guy on him is because I saw uh, he was kind of unparalleled in terms of how deep he pitched into games, which of course makes the impact of the ratio stronger. It greatly improves the pitcher's odds of winning a game. Um, you know, he was he was the guy who was going seven and eight when everyone else was going six and seven. And he actually took a little bit of a step back in that regard last year, but he was still more consistent about how deep he went into games than both DeGrom and, uh, and Cole. And I think the ratios are close enough that that's what matters to me the most. Um, actually, uh, DeGrom's wins may have suffered because he, was, uh, he wasn't allowed to go seven nearly as often as you think he was last year. Um, but, you know, he's still amazing. He's been amazing for a long time. I think they're all first rounders, but I go Bieber, DeGrom, and Cole. How early would you take one, Scott? So they're one, two, and three for me in head-to-head points.
0: Oh, so we've all Uh, done that now. We've all come around to... Okay, that's good to know. How early would you take one in Roto?
3: In Roto, I would take them behind the guys who I think are likely to steal 25-plus bases while still providing elite hitting numbers, which are Acuna, Tatis, and uh, Bats. I have moved Trout behind at least Bieber and DeGrom. I have Cole a little further back in Roto. Uh, I've moved Trout behind those two pitchers, and I've moved, I have moved I Juan Soto in that same range too. But I think it's really just those three hitters ahead of them. Acuna, Betts, and Tatis, to be more precise about the order I have them in.
0: And people might be wondering why we have those three starting pitchers as the top three overall players in head-to-head points leagues. But I believe that the shallower lineups makes it easier to find hitters you know, throughout the middle parts of your draft or even on the waiver wire throughout the season. And that is a format where consistently the past three years, but I'm sure if you look deeper than that, it will also support this, where starting pitchers, the best starting pitchers can outscore the best hitters. Uh, so we just saw last year, Bieber outscored all hitters two years ago. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander outscored all hitters. Back in 2018, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer outscored all hitters. So uh, this
3: is the the format where elite pitchers can do that. Because it's always historically been thought that head-to-head points leagues are the formats that benefit pitchers more. And it's technically true, but I used to think the masses uh, went too far in that direction. Uh, but now i'm i'm probably as far as anyone because it's there are so few hitter spots to fill in the typical head to head points league and you don't have to specialize categories it's just overall production there, there are way more productive hitters that can go around in that format so really you live and die by your pitchers in that format uh, you do to a certain extent in every format but especially head to head points
2: well and i think you just you just kind of with the this is the, the format where that innings gap, especially in the yeah. CBS sports sure. scoring where three points per innings, inning pitched, that's where you can really start. Like if you get a 220 inning season, which frankly, I don't think anybody's going to do this year. I would be surprised if there were more than two or three who even hit 200. I wouldn't be shocked if nobody did. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at 2019, Uh, the last full season, Justin Verlander was the number one starting pitcher. He outscored the number three starting pitcher by 24%. He had 765 points to 615 for number three. He outscored. I mean, I think there were only 13 or 14 pitchers who even reached 500. So you're talking about a 50% point gap between the number one starting pitcher. It's kind of like tight end in football where, you know, Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller and George Kittle aren't just better than everyone at the else at the position. They're, you know, 30 to 40 percent more productive. I think that's and that may be more this season in particular, there may be more of an edge between those handful, very small number of really good high-ending guys and yeah. the guys who are must start, but End up, I mean,
3: must I could start see, just by virtue of somebody having to be. Well,
2: but even As, like I could see Walker Bueller being like, I think he's going to be a must start pitcher in a head to head yeah. points format, but he might not go six innings in 30% of his starts, frankly. He probably won't hit 160 innings or 170 innings with the way the Dodgers have used it. And so right. we might hit the end of the season and he could be really, really good. And there could be a point where he made every start and mm-hmm. you started him every time he was out there and you never regretted it, but he's 200 points behind the number one starting <laughs> pitcher. And he might be a top 20 pitcher. Like it just yeah. might be that kind of season where the gap between those few guys who can really do it mm-hmm. and everyone else is even wider.
3: I, and I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that, that was what I wanted to circle back to about what's different this year and why I think so many are coming closer to me and going aggressively for for starting pitchers early is because that innings gap after a season where nobody threw a hundred innings, uh, we have no idea what how how teams are going to handle their pitchers if they're going to let them throw anywhere close to the innings totals they're used to if if they're going to let them throw like a hundred innings more than they did last year. I mean that's a crazy jump from one season to the next. Uh, normally, but basically every pitcher, if they're going to get to what's expected of them, will be making that jump. And and you know, it won't be applied evenly across the board. So my presumption is the guys who have shown the ability to throw 180 plus innings in season past and hadn't really had any workload concerns prior to this year are are, are probably not going to be handled that carefully. They're probably just going to be turned loose and uh, but you're not going to see the guys like Ian Anderson or Jesus Lozardo, maybe even like a Walker Buehler to an extent, guys who haven't taken on that workload consistently. You're not going to see them make the kind of jump they normally would from one year to the next because, I, I mean, everybody's total was so low last year. So it could create an even bigger, even more separation between the really great pitchers and everybody else, which I think is part of the reason why Everybody wants to get the 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 pitchers they can depend on, or at least think they can depend on.
2: Yeah, I think in a roto league, this may be the one season where 150 really great innings is more valuable than ever before, just because there's going to be so few guys who get to 180. But I think in a points league, the gap that you know, those guys who give you those innings totals, and th- and that's why like I think Lance Lynn is really undervalued, and he's a top 15 starting pitcher for me, and. And yep. points leagues, and I'm kind of looking at him like, why would
3: I take Brandon Woodruff over Lance Lynn? And I really like Brandon Woodruff. Well, I'll have some things to say about that too, but we can, we can go ADP and probably bring it up then.
0: Uh, to all those points that you made, I think that, We've, we're already hearing some teams come out and say that they're going to have six-man rotations. So, yeah, Padres, while I think
3: have kind of hinted at it already, yeah, a the, lot of yeah, a lot of teams, and and I don't think it'll be something they all use consistently. Uh, I know Aaron Boone of the Yankees talked about you know there will be times in the season where it makes sense to, but that's not necessarily like an every turn through the rotation sort of thing. It sounds like every turn through the rotation for the Mariners. It sounds like every turn through the rotation for the Angels. Um, but I think there will be. I, I think there will just be a less predictable rotation from one week to the next for basically every team.
0: And I think we're also probably going to see more injuries than ever before just because, again, the uh, the lack of a workload from last year and people ramping things up this year, uh, that also lends itself to you wanting to have uh, some quality depth among your starting pitchers. The next three in ADP are familiar faces in new places, and they come off the board in the early to mid-second round with the aforementioned Trevor Bauer, who is now with the Dodgers. His ADP is 14.4. He is the fourth starting pitcher off the board. Hugh Darvish, who is now with the Padres, with an ADP of 17.8, and Walker Buehler with an ADP of 18.6. So... If we start with Trevor Bauer, I mean, he's very polarizing. He just won the National League, Cy Young. He finishes a top three starting pitcher in both Roto and head-to-head points. But, Scott, he does come with a lot of volatility. If you just look at the ERA of the last four seasons, one seven three, four four eight, two two one, four one nine. 448, 221, 419. So as good as he's going to be, and I think he's going to give the Dodgers and fantasy owners um, a lot of volume this year, uh, there is still, I think, in terms of projecting him, there's a wide range. I believe that.
3: Yeah, I, I think the thing people overlook about Trevor Bauer, there's there's kind of this feeling. Okay, he had this amazing year last year, but he wasn't that good before then. But I mean, and, and you and you painted the inconsistencies over his career. But like another way to put that is, two of the past three years, Trevor Bauer's been the best pitcher in his league. You know, obviously he was in the AL in 2018, but he looked like the Cy Young frontrunner before breaking his leg in August, and then then Blake Snell went on to win the Cy Young. I, I feel like Bauer's been the best pitcher in his league two of the past three years and had a not so great season in between that season got terrible with the reds. He was actually pretty good, not Cy Young caliber, but pretty good with Cleveland before getting traded from the reds. And you know, the strikeouts are going to be there. You know, the innings are going to be there. The wins are going to be there. If he's pitching those innings for the Dodgers, Um, you know, his, his RPM on all his pitches went way up last year. And, you know, he, he said he figured out how to do that and you know, based on some of his past comments on social media. And I know this is something Chris talks about. You wonder if it was entirely on the up and up his way of figuring out to do that. But if he figured out a way to do that using what, whatever guile and ingenuity
2: and a, a special substance, that Garrett Cole also, uh, you know, has hand delivered to his house.
3: And we know pitchers, most pitchers use a substance of some kind, and you know there's talk about whether or not there should be something legal. Whoa, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Uh, There's been a lot of reporting (laughs) done on that. Um, So I guess my my thinking is, if he figured out a way to get more RPMs on all his pitches, why would he stop now? Like, (laughs) what? Why? Why would he choose not to do that anymore? Um,
2: Yeah,
3: Uh, he's like,
2: unless there's some kind of like breakdown in the U S postal service, like supply side logistics, like he'll, he'll probably still be really good. I, I think the most likely outcome is probably an era more in the like low to mid threes. Uh, you know, he did outperform his peripherals by over a run last season, which when you have a one seven, three era and you're not Jacob de or prime Clayton Kershaw, you usually overperform your per- peripherals, but uh, yeah, he's, I think I have him as the number eight starting pitcher in Roto, number five in, in points. But after that top three, it's it's a it's just kind of a pick 'em.
0: Yeah, uh, the fourth st- starting pitcher off the board is really where rankings start for everyone because uh, you yeah. can get you know ten different answers depending on who you ask. Um, let's just talk about you, Darvish and Walker Bueller here quickly. Uh, since Darvish started featuring this cutter as his main pitch, which was really back in May of twenty nineteen. His last 35 starts are as good as any pitcher in baseball. A 306 ERA, a 0.94 whip, 11.5 Ks per nine, 1.5 walks per nine. You Darvish is just a new pitcher. Like, control is great. Now he's going over to the Padres, should have a ton of run support as well. Uh, and then Walker Bueller, who is a talented pitcher. I don't think anyone's going to argue that, but. It's a huge price tag in the middle of the second round. Um, ATC projections, which are over on Sportsline, and they're done by Ariel Cohen, who we've had on this podcast numerous times. He has 25 starting pitchers projected for at least 170 innings in 2021. Walker Buehler is not one of those pitchers. So you really need him to be spectacular for him to pay off this ADP. Maybe he does it, but I'm a little uh, skeptical. Scott, your thoughts on Darvish and Buehler?
3: Yeah, I mean, Chris kind of, got into it a little bit already, but Walker Bueller is probably my highest profile bust pick for this season because I just don't see any way he's going to have the workload needed to justify a second round pick, the kind of workload that can compare to these other pitchers going in this range. I think he had just one regular season start of six innings last year. And granted it was a very short season and, and, and you know, the way the Dodgers have handled Bueller the past couple of years is he's basically skipped spring training and then builds up in season. So You know, maybe if the season went longer, a little longer, he would have started to have more six and maybe even seven innings outing, even seven inning outings. But the point is, they handle him with kid gloves. Like they're clearly concerned about his workload by having him not waste his bullets in spring training. Uh, And and so, what's that going to mean in a season where he's he threw? I think he threw about sixty innings, regular season and postseason combined. Well, like is he is he going to throw one hundred sixty? He has thrown one hundred eighty before, one time. Uh, so I think that's probably the tip top. Right? Uh, what was that?
2: Oh, no, he got to 180. I think he barely got to 190 if you include the postseason
3: in 2019. Yeah, yeah that was in 2019. Um, so that's probably the tip top of what you can expect. But just bec- given how carefully they've handled him in the past, I, that an innings increase of 120 without even factoring in the playoffs where they're going. Um, it feels like a 90th percentile outcome. Yeah, that... that
2: that feels I'm like hoping, he's got two twenty BABIP and like just retires the order, just yeah. retires every batter like efficiently. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I'm hoping I'm hoping for like one fifty from Bueller and maybe a couple months. The first two months of the season, basically no shot at a quality start. So because he doesn't get the innings, uh, that's that's like Chris said, like he's going to be good with what he gives you. He's going to be must start, but this is way too high a price tag for somebody who, um, seems like the, the quintessential pitcher who would suffer from the weirdness of, uh, this season coming off last season. Yeah.
2: Just to, uh, I I spent the last couple of days putting together our, uh, draft prep guide, which I think is going to be really cool. It's going to be out on CBSports.com within the next couple of weeks. Um, and I put together our, you know, each of our draft day strategies, and it's got like some sleepers, some bu- breakouts, and bus picks, and our biggest draft rules. It's uh, it's interesting. There are a couple of players who are featured on. We we each have five bus picks. There are Denelson Lamette and Kevin Bajio are on two of our three bus lists. Walker Bueller is the only one uh, to make all three, and I don't think any of us actually dislike him. <laughs> uh, it's just not a skills thing nope he's gotta be i don't know like i don't even know what the outcome is where he lives up to this adp but in in this season like it's gotta be a a 270 era and a 0.9 whip uh, because he's actually not a super high strikeout guy either
3: yeah i don't i i think the only scenario where bueller lives up to this adp is if just every pitcher throws way fewer innings. Like you, yeah. Darvish is limited to 150 innings and, and uh, you know, Max Scherzer. And I, I, it's possible, I guess, because we really don't know what to expect coming off the season as short as 2020. And given how careful teams are with arms in general, but it's, it's obviously seems very unlikely uh, that there would be that kind of widespread handling of the top end pitchers.
0: We see three more pitchers going in the late second, early third round, including Lucas Giolito at 21.6, Aaron Nola at 23.6, and Max Scherzer at 25.2. Chris, we'll start with you this time. Giolito, Nola, Scherzer, which one do you like most from this group?
2: I have Max Scherzer as my number four starting pitcher. <laughs> in, uh, definitely in road and in points, yeah, in both formats. Um and like I said, part of that is just once you get past the top three, it's kind of a pick-em. And I'll go with the the guy who's been, you know, generationally good rather than just pretty good. Um, he wasn't great in 2020, but he also, for the most part of why, he only had like a hamstring issue last season. I don't think there were really any of the back or neck issues that, you know, really became pretty scary in 2019. You know, obviously went on the IL in the second half, but, you know, probably most concerningly for a guy with Max Scherzer's, you know, kind of approach to the game and mindset uh, cost him a World Series start uh, in 2019. But I don't think he had any of those issues last season. There was nothing in the velocity uh, that looked concerning. His Mm. walk rate was up a little bit, but... (sighs) It's ton of, starts, ton like, of swing happens. strikes. Yeah, yeah, like I just kind of... I'm kind of with, with him where I think Clayton Kershaw has been the last few seasons where he's been undervalued because of the injury risk. But if he does stay healthy, I think he's going to outperform. I, he is one of the... I don't know. I guess Bauer and Darvish are right there too. But I don't think anybody else could conceivably match... DeGrom, Cole, or Bieber, except for those three guys.
0: I don't know if this is fair to say for Max Scherzer. Um, You're probably right about that statement, Chris, but I think among the pitchers being drafted this early, I think he has one of the widest range of outcomes. And again, I don't know if that's fair to say, but... I just I see this bottom-out possibility for Scherzer sure. at 36 years yeah. old. He's turning 37. Uh, the walks were up last year. I appreciate that you've been consistent with this, Chris, because you're, you're not putting a lot of stock into last year. Uh, but he did have multiple walks in eight of 12 starts. He had three or more walks in three of those starts. And his hard contact has been on the rise for two straight seasons. His uh, BABIP and his batting average against has actually been on the rise for three straight seasons. So I'm just looking at all these things coming together. And I just see this bottom-out potential. So I'm the low guy on Scherzer. I have him down at SP14, which I'm just not going to have any shares Mm -hmm. of him. Uh, Scott has him at SP8, and Chris has him up at SP4. So uh, we're all kind of spread out a little bit on Scherzer, but uh, that's some of my thinking there with him. Scott, between Nola and Lucas Giolito, who do you prefer more between those two?
3: I prefer Giolito. He was the number two pitcher to Jacob deGrom in swinging strike rate last year. And actually, as the season went on, his swinging strike rate started... Like he was getting swinging strike totals start to start in the same league as deGrom. Um, So I just think there's a little more upside, maybe even some untapped potential there. But I like Nola a lot. I think Nola's of this entire... Of every pitcher we've named so far, I think Nola's the one who doesn't get enough love. And uh, it's going to be the ace on a lot of my teams this year. And I'm not even really... Sure, why uh, he he had three shaky starts to end last season, but and that kind of brought his numbers up to the Lucas Giolito range. Prior to that, he was looking like you know Cy Young contender, uh, and obviously was a Cy Young contender in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I don't I don't really know why Nola doesn't get more love, but he certainly has the innings and the and and the ratios to to uh, to, to to call an ace.
0: Well, Scott, look no further than uh, my rankings because I have Aaron Nola at SP4, and I'm very excited about him. I think last year was the best version of Nola that we have ever seen, uh, even better than in his uh, breakout 2018 season, at least based on some of the underlying numbers, career-high swinging strike rate, career-high chase rate. Uh, Aaron Nola also changed his pitch mix last season. He used his changeup more than ever before, 27% changeup usage, uh, which really helped his curveball and his fastball play up. It's, his fastball is not a great pitch. Uh, so yeah, I, I love Noel. I have him as my SP4. I'm totally willing to take him in the second or early third round, wherever you need to take him. I was a little nervous about uh, Gilito early in the off season because he has had some issues with walks, three and a half walks per nine last year, and he has not thrown more than 176 innings in a season yet. But the skills are just tremendous. I mean... 17% swinging strike rate was second in baseball last year, so I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not overthinking it. I, I I still like Lucas Gilito quite a bit.
2: Yeah, for me, I, I think what it comes down to is just I don't have much of a difference between... I, I, they're separated by eight picks total in my overall rankings, I think, uh, in head-to-head at least, four through Aaron Nola at... Or Walker Bueller at 10, excuse me. Um, so it's just kind of whichever one, wherever I'm picking is kind of how I feel about that group.
0: The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at hyundaiusa.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. We see three more starting pitchers
0: going in the third round, starting with Jack Flaherty at pick 28 Clayton Kershaw at pick 29 and Luis Castillo at pick 30. Let's start with Jack Flaherty and, uh, Scott, I don't think you could put much stock into 2020 for Flaherty because it was just a really weird season for everyone, but specifically the Cardinals. They miss, missed so much time due to COVID, um, and then it took him a long time to to build back up towards the end of the season. He did make one postseason start, Jack Flaherty, six innings of one-run ball with eight strikeouts against the Padres, so he looked like himself in that start. Um, and But with that being said, I wouldn't expect anything close to his 2019 season either where he had the sub three ERA I'm looking at his 2018 as like a fair projection for him 3.34 ERA 1.11 whip almost 11 Ks per nine maybe over like 175 innings I think it's a very fair projection for for Jack Flaherty
3: yeah I, I mean I worry about his work the my main concern for Flaherty is him being young him being still cost controlled for several years uh will how how careful will the Cardinals be with him? He threw even fewer innings than Walker Bueller did. Now, you know, he had a couple innings, a couple outings where he went six and one where he even went seven. And I just think I, I just think as a general rule, they're not going to be as careful with him as the Dodgers are going to be with Bueller. There hasn't been that same history uh that you see with Bueller. But I just think given how young and, and how how long the Cardinals want to make sure he's around, um they're going to be pretty careful with him, so that's my biggest concern with him, and why I'm probably have him ranked lower than the consensus. In terms of skills, though, I th- I think he's fine. His season got interrupted by a long stretch where the Cardinals. I think you mentioned it, Frank. Like it just um, he was a lot of he st- was
2: throwing into a mattress stacked up against a wall in his hotel room <laughs> to try to stay <laughs> fresh. Yeah, I, like it's crazy. I think if you have to explain what happened to Jack, like if someone asks you what went wrong for Jack Flaherty in 2020. It's that he like had pillows set up as a mound and was throwing against a mattress.
3: <laughs> but but it, even beyond that, I mean, I think po- people who listen to me know that I look at XFIP and swinging strike rate. Those are kind of the main two skill shortcuts I look at for for a pitcher. And and both of those measurements, Flaherty was actually better in twenty twenty than twenty nineteen. So um, he, he's going to be fine. It's just a question of me how much he pitches.
0: Clayton Kershaw bounced back in a big way last year. He did do driveline baseball last offseason, and we saw an uptick in fastball velocity, 91.6 miles per hour for Kershaw on the fastball <clears throat> versus 90.4 miles per hour back in 2019. So he was up about you know, 1.2 miles per hour. He finished as a top eight starting pitcher in both Roto and in head-to-head points leagues. The problem is he has not thrown more than 178 innings in any season since twenty. 15, he has had chronic back issues. So, Chris, where are you on Clayton Kershaw? Would you actually be willing to take him here in the third round?
2: Uh, Yeah, I I have him below Luis Castillo and ahead of Jack Flaherty. But there's not really much separating any of those guys. Um, I think Castillo is kind of just the safest of the three, and that's why he gets the edge. But, like, I don't know. I've kind of been the it's way too early to give up on Clayton Kershaw uh, drum so I've been really happy to see that like there's never been a point where he hasn't been extremely good like I think the worst season of his career he was still like fourth in the NL and ERA um, <laughs> I think he's going to continue to age really gracefully it's just it's a lot harder to see him having a, a spike year anymore Um so, you know, he, he's kind of a yeah a safe guy, I guess.
0: Fun fact regarding Luis Castillo, he has never finished higher than SP14 in Roto or in head-to-head it's points weird. leagues. Uh, the walks has been the main issue for for Castillo. I mean, his whip the past three seasons, 1.22, 1.14, 1.23. That's the biggest yeah. reason why he can't elevate his game. But I still think, Scott, I, I think that Of the pitchers that we're talking about here, I think he has the highest upside. I still think that we have a potential like sub three ERA, a sub one one oh whip kind of season with like 250 plus strikeouts coming from Castillo. I I still think it's doable.
3: Yeah. I mean, the fact he's about as elite as it gets for ground balls and about as elite as it gets for swinging strikes. (laughs) Like, to me points to a very high ceiling for Castillo and he's fine as he is. I mean, he's high end pitcher as he is. I I don't need him to get better to take him here, Uh, but it's nice to, to imagine he could. I have a fun fact for Luis Castillo too. Among starting pitchers, he is the career leader, career leader in swinging strike rate. Now, obviously the career leader in swinging strike rate is going to be somebody who pitched more recently because swinging strike rates have gone up in recent years, but still that's pretty cool he's such a weird pitcher cause to
2: a certain extent, like it's unfair to say he's just a one pitch pitcher. He throws 98 miles per hour with his fastball, but he basically has one unbelievably good pitch and everything else is just kind of, well, you got to worry about that changeup, Um, but it works so well for him. I, I have a little bit of trouble seeing him taking like a big step forward. Um, just because he is older than I, I think, you probably uh, would assume he's twenty eight. Um, hmm. I just don't know if that slider step forward is ever going to happen. But that's yeah. like, like I said, I, I think he's the safest among this group, and I actually have him inside uh, my top eight. So just one spot ahead of Nola.
0: Another fun fact. So many fun facts today um, regarding Luis Castillo, but a few other names. There were four starting pitchers in 2020 that had a ground ball percentage over 49% and a swinging strike rate over 13%. That includes Aaron Nola, Luis Castillo, Kenta Maeda, and Brandon Woodruff, which brings us to our next group of ADP. Three more going in the fourth round. Brandon Woodruff at pick 41, Zach Gallen at pick 45, and Blake Snell, who is now with the San Diego Padres, going at pick 46. Scott, who is your favorite from this group? Woodruff, Gallon, and Snell.
3: It's Gallon, but I'm ranking these three. The, the, The main thing I'm ranking these three specifically on is how confident I am in them going six to seven innings with consistency. So I have Snell several spots behind the other two because in 17 starts last year, not a one of them was six innings. Between the regular season and playoffs, and hopefully the Padres handle them differently, but you know I'm not gonna I'm not going to bet on that in the draft.
0: Uh, with that, um, Scott, I will just say with Blake Snell, he has not gone six innings in a start since July 21st of 2019.
3: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's a problem. It's a problem for his uh, overall worth and fantasy for sure because it keeps his t- strikeout total down. It, it obviously limits his win potential. It's not good. It's a bad thing. Uh, But Gallon and Woodruff have both been really good about pitching deep into games. Woodruff is actually a really efficient pitcher. Um, And so I do wonder, just because he doesn't have a big innings total for an entire season, he's had some injuries the past... He had some injuries early in his career and and hasn't put together that big innings total for a single season. Um, You know, Woodruff might probably isn't somebody you should be betting on to pitch 180 innings. But what matters more to me is what they're doing in each individual start. If they're going that minimum required to get a win, to have a double-digit strikeout effort, to bank to bank a really awesome start. And then if they get shut down for a couple weeks here and there, you can live with that easier than you can somebody going five and a third time after time after time. And Woodruff, I'm not worried about that with him. He's not going to be... Uh, have that, uh, like we saw with Blake Snell last year, that kind of workload. Gallon, yeah. I think, is fine. Uh, Gallon, I mean, two years ago between the majors and the minors, I think he almost got to 180 innings, and the Diamondbacks are very comfortable letting him throw six to seven with consistency. So even though he's young, uh, I'm not that worried about his workload heading into this year. I feel like Gallon's not a super efficient pitcher. Um,
2: I, I don't know if the num what the numbers are on that, but he went six I, plus
0: in nine of twelve starts last season.
3: Yeah, so you know, it it would be better if the pitch counts were low. I I actually don't know either, but just yeah, I think I that's the, mostly the count, a matter. Yeah, that's mostly a matter of the manager getting in his head. Okay, I can trust this guy for six or seven. Uh, I can trust him a third time through the lineup, and then once he's developed that trust with the pitcher. I think that's that matters more than what you know precisely how many pitches he's throwing per start.
2: Yeah, Woodruff's thrown 188 innings and 32 starts over the last two seasons. If you take out the final three starts of 2019, where he got hurt at the end of July and came back for two two inning starts, Um, he's a little under six innings per start, but. the thing I really like about Woodruff, my concern going into last season was he was really just like a fastball pitcher. Uh, his breaking pitches were fine, but he threw his fastball like sixty-five to seventy percent of the time. I think he still did that last season, but he added two hundred RPMs to his fastball. I don't know if uh, you know he, he's got a you know special delivery or whatever's going on. <laughs> uh, were we, look, were we way too casual to clear, with that? To be clear, I've had people get mad at me about that, and I don't care. Uh <laughs> everyone's doing because, it. Let's because be honest, everyone yeah, in baseball is doing it. It's not an it. ethical everyone. or moral thing to me. It's like I don't like it should just be allowed, and I don't care. It's just funny to make jokes about it. But yeah, Brandon Woodruff, adding spin rate to your fastball in particular makes your fastball a more effective swing and miss pitch. Brandon Woodruff has not Kyle Hendricks ability to suppress quality of contact, but very, very good quality of contact suppression. And last season he added 200 RPMs to his fastball on average. It's a 96, 97 mile an hour fastball. So that makes it even more effective. And it made his fastball, his four seamer, especially operate like most pitchers slider in terms of whiff rate, which is really, really good. And so, if he can keep getting whiffs like that with his fastball, I don't think there's really any flaws in his game. I, I think eventually he'll have to learn to, you know, refine his secondary pitches a little bit more. You're not going to be able to pump set 97, 98 past people forever, but I don't know, Jacob DeGrom's doing it. So maybe you can.
0: Jacob DeGrom, by the way, apparently he's already throwing 99 miles per hour in spring. Like he's in midseason form. Let's good. Take it easy, Jacob DeGrom. We need you. We need you in actual midseason, not right now in spring. That doesn't matter all that much. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, I agree. I mean, I think he's just rock solid. I, I have him ranked inside my top 12 starting pitchers. Gallon, we were all over him last year. We all wanted to draft him. His first 27 starts in the majors, a 278 ERA with a 117 whip, 178 strikeouts, and 152 innings pitched
3: for... Zach Gallen, uh, I will point by, out... By the way, Zach Gallen didn't have a single start where he threw 100 pitches last year, so yeah. I'd say he's Yeah, I was off enough. on
2: that. He wasn't super yeah. efficient as a rookie, I guess, but last year he got the control under control.
3: Yeah,
0: he had <laughs> he had two bad starts against the Giants and Mariners, um, but he allowed two earned runs or less in his other 10 starts. So he was... I mean, Zach Gallen's just... Great. I mean, two he's of those starts, solid. he was like seven innings in Colorado and it, it, going into Los Angeles to face the Dodgers. So, I mean, I don't think there's any concern there. Blake Snell, uh, we do have some question marks about the durability, or at least I do. Um, you know, if he's my SP2, I really have to have one of DeGrom, Kohler, Beaver
3: to to feel yeah. comfortable with that. He's so. not going to be my SP2. Okay? Yeah, I, I <laughs> might not be my SP3.
2: I'm backing <laughs> off both Snell and we're, we're, gonna about, we're about to talk about glass now, but I'm Kind of him, Bueller, Snell, and Glasnow are the three guys I'm kind of backing off more and more as draft season goes on. Well, Chris, we're actually going to save Tyler Glasnow for tomorrow
0: because we're coming up on the end of the show. Aww. And I did want to hit uh, sleepers, breakouts, and Bust today so we could just power through ADP and get to as many pitchers as we possibly can for tomorrow. But it's a good tease. Uh, find out Chris's thoughts on Tyler Glassnow on tomorrow's podcast. Uh, but let's wrap up with sleepers, breakouts, and busts for the starting pitcher position. And Scott, why don't you get us started with a sleeper?
3: All right, my favorite sleeper starting pitcher is Griffin Canning. It seems weird to talk about somebody so far down the rankings after talking about all those studs, but yeah, Griffin Canning, who I liked as a sleeper at this time last year, and I think a lot of people did. They kind of backed off of him in spring training because he had an elbow issue, and they were talking, I don't know, maybe this will require surgery. I backed off of him too. He was ready to go when the season started up officially but it seemed like he was scared to snap off that slider the way he did as a rookie because the, the, uh, the productivity of that slider went way, 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 way down. Way down. In the meantime, he worked on a curveball that became pretty good. And late in the season, suddenly he had both the slider and curveball working and the numbers just took off. His swinging strike rate uh, from his first six starts to his final five went from 9.9 to 14.5. So opposite ends of the spectrum, basically. His caper nine, seven point five to ten point four. If he has a clean bill of health heading into this season, I think uh, I think he could surprise a lot of people. I think he's a has the potential to be a really good bat misser and there's no skill that's more valuable than that.
2: Chris, a sleeper. Tristan McKenzie. There's there's so much time. It's not clear if he's going to have a spot in the opening day rotation for the Indians. I would guess he won't uh, because he hadn't thrown in a professional game in nearly two years between his major league debut and his previous start. It was actually eight days shy of two full years, which I don't think is getting talked about enough. He had a 324 ERA, a .90 whip, and 11.3 K per nine. That would have been a really good debut for any uh, young pitcher, let alone a guy making his first starts in two years who had never pitched above double A. There are certainly some concerns. The velocity was down over his last few starts. I I think it's worth noting that it was actually his velocity was really up uh, the first like four or five outings. And then the last couple is when it went back down to where it was pre injury. Um, so I think you can almost take that as a positive. I, if we're going to give Cleveland pitchers the benefit of the doubt that they're going to maximize them, why not go with the guy who arguably has the best pedigree of anyone they've had since Trevor Bauer? I think Tristan McKenzie's going to be really good. Uh, it's just a question of how many innings he pitches. But if he gets to 90 to 100 and you get him around 200 overall, I think you're going to be really happy with that.
0: The ADP for Tristan McKenzie is 179.2 right now in drafts. And the ADP for Griffin Canning, which I should have mentioned for Scott Sleeper, is 298.7. So going super late, you can get Griffin Canning um, with basically the last pick of your drafts. Uh, I feel gross saying this, but whatever, man. (laughs) I'm going to go with Michael Pineda. Big Mike. He has made 31 starts since the start of 2019. He has allowed three earned runs or less in 26 of those. So he's been a quality pitcher, right, by definition there. Um, Here are his ranks among starting pitchers with at least 170 innings during that span since the start of 2019. 12.8% swingy strike rate. That's tied for 17th with Clayton Kershaw. A 36% chase rate. That is eighth best and an 18.3% K-walk percentage. That is 28th among starting pitchers. Uh, Michael Pineda is currently being drafted as the 71st starting pitcher off the board. So based on those ranks, uh, I would say he's a lot better than that. It's just a matter of him actually staying on the field. But um,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I like that one. I think he's. I think he's kind of in the very small middle class at starting pitcher because he's. He's not going to have the elite strikeout numbers, but he's going to give you the the deep starts. He's going to have a good WHIP. He's going to have an okay-ish ERA, and um, he's 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 going to be somebody you use a lot if you draft him. Michael Pineda is.
0: Yeah, and he pitches in the AL Central, which is something we like to target, uh, at least yep. going up against the Cleveland offense and the Tigers offense. Not so much the uh, the White Sox there. The other name I was debating was Nathan Avaldi. Surprise, surprise. Two former Yankees, Pineda and Nathan Evaldi. Um, Scott, give me a breakout at starting pitcher.
3: John Maines, one of the players I love. Uh, I've, I've given this spiel a few times on the podcast, but just to do it again, velocity was way up a couple miles per hour last year. near the top of the leaderboard, and velocity gained. And um, it didn't really show up in his performance. Like It didn't really make a difference to it until suddenly his final four starts, he took off. You you remember that swinging strike rate I talked about for for Griffin Canning? It was even a bigger discrepancy for John Means. First six starts, 8.7. Final four starts, 15.7, which is Garrett Cole-like. His ERA went from eight ten in the first six to one fifty two in those final four. His caper nine from five point four to eleven point four. He was already known for having a great changeup. He was already known for being an elite strike thrower. Uh, if he can be in the strike zone that much and miss bats with this new and improved fastball, John Means, man, he might uh, he might be the most exciting Orioles breakout. Pitcher who throws left-handed since Eric Bedard.
0: You know, admittedly, my first year playing fantasy baseball was 2009. Scott, how weird does that sound? Uh, I mean, I just I don't remember
3: Eric Bedard being great. Uh, That that was basically my whole point. Eric Bedard (laughs) seems like just yesterday to me.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Eric Bedard and Ben Sheets were those around the same time. For some reason, those two guys are linked in my head. I I remember they both had amazing curveballs.
0: I remember Ben Sheets. I used to get him and Jake Peavy mixed up because I would just get Brewers and, and Padres mixed up all the time because I thought their, their uniforms looked similar. Uh, but whatever. That's for another day. Uh, Chris, a breakout.
2: Uh, yeah, I've I've mentioned him several times. He's probably my favorite. Ian Anderson is probably my favorite. Uh, he's probably the one young pitcher I would really pay up for uh, this season. And it's not just because... You know, in fifty some odd innings, including the postseason, he was dominant. Although he was, and it's worth pointing that out. Um, it's how he pitched. He was. He came to the majors with this changeup that had a 249x wOBA against a 39.8% whiff rate. To to give you a a little bit of context, that changeup that I talked about for Luis Castillo, that is by far his best pitch and one of the best pitches in baseball. 227 x woba, 40.1% whiff rate. So very, very similar stuff from Ian Anderson. And that wasn't really even in the scouting report before 2020. That was kind of a show-me pitch for him. Uh, It was always the fastball and the curveball that made him one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. So the fact that he came up and the fastball and curveball were exactly as good as they were supposed to be, but then he had this awesome changeup as well, that just makes me get really excited about Ian Anderson. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take him as a top 24 starting pitcher. How long have we been talking? An hour and six
0: minutes. We haven't even mentioned Joe Musgrove yet. Uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going to talk about Joe Musgrove. We'll talk about him on tomorrow's ADP. Uh, I also like Pablo Lopez, but I wanted to highlight Tyler Malley here. I spoke about him a few times already. Finally, put it together last year. Finished with a three-five-nine ERA, one-one-five WHIP. 60 strikeouts across 47 and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, 11.3K per nine, by far a career best for Tyler Malley, and it was supported by a 13.8% swinging strike rate. He changed his pitch mix last year. He brought back a slider that he used back in 2018, and he has that to go along with two other quality pitches, I would say. He has a a split change and a mid-90s fastball. So uh, the Reds just find a way to get the most out of their pitchers the past couple of years. I believe it was... I think it's Derek Johnson they brought over as their pitching coach in 2019, and he used to be the pitching coach for the Brewers. So uh, whatever he's helping them do, it's working. So uh, we've seen other, other Reds pitchers take the next step. I think Tyler Malley is right there as well. Scott, wrap us up here with a bust at starting pitcher.
3: Well, Walker Bueller is the one I'm probably going to be most connected to, but we talked about him a lot. Um, I'm going to talk about Denelson Lamette because I can, I can make the case quickly. His elbow, he even said, like it's, it's gotten worse because he said, doctors told him that if he kept pitching with the elbow last year, it's very likely he would have ruptured it again and needed another Tommy John surgery. So 26 starts back from Tommy John surgery. He already has those kinds of concerns. Um, he's going to need to get three or four spring training starts under his belt before I start to relax about him because we've just heard that story too many times. Elbow problems. The team feels okay about it, though. You know, he's probably going to be fine. And then one day, it's just like Tommy John surgery. So I'm I'm really fearful of investing in Lamet. Chris, a bust.
2: And I'll also just point out on Lamet, he had a 4.37 career ERA in 187 innings before 2020. So he's not exactly a slam dunk, uh, even if he does stay healthy. And speaking of small sample size uh, outliers from the 2020 season. Zach, please Zach is my bust. Um, He threw 55 and a third innings last season, which is a very small sample size. It's less than half of what he threw in 2019 when he had an ADP outside of the top 400 uh, coming off that season. That 55 and one third inning sample size is even smaller than it sounds. He made eight starts. That means he pitched really deep into the games, which is really awesome. He faced five different teams last season. One of those teams finished outside of the top, uh, finished higher than 21st in runs scored in the 2020 season. Uh, The second best offense he faced was Detroit's. So he can be really good, but he's a top 24 starting pitcher in ADP right now. And he wasn't as effective. The second start against Kansas City, both swinging strikes and strikeout rate, he was less effective. The second and third starts against Chicago, in his with his swinging strike rate and strikeout rate. Um, so I just, if I'm going to push a guy up to the twenty fourth starting pitcher with fifty five and a third innings, that guy's got to be bulletproof. And Zach Plezac isn't.
3: I I just I just need to interject here. Yes. I'll 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 ta- I'll get I'll get into it when we do the ADP review with Plezac. But Chris and I were kind of going back and forth about him. I, I actually have Plesac as a break breakout this year, so um, uh, I am I am much higher on him than Chris is. But I'll get. He into already now, broke out. He can't be a breakout. Well, I think maybe he could.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna just wrap up with Max Scherzer. I spoke about it, but the uh, the batting average against and the BABIP have been on the rise uh, each of the past three seasons for him. It's correlated with uh, the two high, the three at least two highest hard rit- hit rates of his career. The, uh, the walks were up last year. The swinging strikes, still very good uh, by league standard, uh, but down for him. And a 4.21 expected ERA, according to StatCast. So that kind of jives with him allowing harder contact. So all those things considered, I'm a little bit worried about Max Scherzer. But we're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow with our SP Pitcher Preview Part 2.
3: Bye-bye! <laughs>